Hello, thank you for listening to this sermon from our Revive service. We hope it helps you learn more about God and allow you to grow closer to Him and in your faith. Isn't it great? Doesn't it put like a smile on your face when you see these children up here and as they learn about the Word and uh, the story of Jesus? Um, just exciting. There's never a dull moment with children either. Now, there may be a dull moment in the next 20 minutes, but not not uh, not during their 20 years. That's what's that's what's great. That's what's great about children. Uh, I've never met a donkey that's been that quiet before, and that so well behaved and uh, doesn't even stink. It's it's amazing. Um, this morning we want to continue our series uh, on why Christmas, and so I won't take a lot of time, but I want us to walk through and ask again to ask ourselves why Christmas? Why would God do Christmas? And we're, we're given the answers through the Word of God, through the Bible. And the great thing is, is this Bible has lasted for thousands of years. And it is accurate and it's clear for us. And so I want us to look this morning um, just at a few things of why Christmas. Last week we looked at um, why Christmas is because God keeps His promises and so we looked at so many different promises that were given thousands and thousands of years before they actually took place. And, and, and every one of them that we looked at came true. This morning, what we want to look at is that God came to earth. Uh, why Christmas? Because God came to us. God came to you and I. And so we want to look at that a, a little bit this morning. Uh, we'll start off with, uh, with a verse from John 1, uh, verse 14. It says, And the word became flesh. And dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. The Word, the Word of God, that's Jesus. Jesus came to us. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. God coming to us. Luke says it in this in, in his gospel, in this way, Luke 2, 11, where he says, For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. What we want to look at is this title, Lord, this morning. It's something that we can easily throw around. Um, those who knew and studied the Old Testament who had the law, um, this word, Lord, was uh, used and, and, and to describe God in a way where... He was a God who was unspeakable. Uh, the, their term is Yahweh. Yahweh is Lord. And so when you look at the Old Testament, you'll often see that word Lord as capitalized every letter, uh, L-O-R-D. And so with that word Lord, we see here that as it was proclaimed who Jesus was, this baby that was born, that he was Christ, he was the Messiah, Messiah, the Lord. And so we see this word, uh, Lord, used for a baby. And we know Jesus grows up and, and to be a man. But is he really God? And so one of the things that I want us to go back and to look at is this dynamic of Lord, of Yahweh. And so we see this all throughout the Old Testament. And you may be familiar with some of these, but I just want to quickly just kind of glance through these. Think about Genesis 15, 1, where it says, after these things, the word of the Lord came to Abraham in a vision. Fear not, Abraham. I am your shield, your reward, your 
reward shall be very great. There's that term Lord, right? It's capitalized there. You see it. I didn't capitalize that. That, that is meaning the term Yahweh. And that term Yahweh was used. And as it was written down, they didn't even include vowels in that. It was almost like it was unspeakable. It was a name for God that was unspeakable. And so when we see this, we see this promise that, uh, that God had said, not just God, but the Lord had given to Abraham. And that through Abraham, um, he was going to uh, give him a child and that he was going to make out of him a great nation. And so um, we see this in Genesis 17.1, when Abraham was 90 years old, who does, who's talking to him? The Lord, the Lord appeared to Abraham and said to him, I am God almighty walk before me and be blameless. And then verses seven and eight, I will establish my covenant between me and your offspring after you throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and to be offspring to yours. And I will give to you and your offspring after you, the land of sojourning, all the land of Canaan for an everlasting possession. And I will be their God. This is the Lord, Yahweh. He promises this to Abraham, that he was going to make from Abraham a nation, his own chosen nation. We call that nation today Israel. It is still God's chosen nation, God's chosen people. And he will fill, fulfill the promises of even what we see here in Genesis of the land. Now, I won't take time because I don't have a lot of time this morning, but one of the really cool things that I was doing this week was studying in, in Genesis 15 here about the sacrifice with Abraham and God. God told Abraham uh, to take some animals and to cut them in half and to lay them out. And it kind of sounds weird because how we know often from scripture and even from different customs, the sacrifices were often laid on, on an altar and were burnt with fire. Um, this sacrifice was unique because the parts of the animals were laid open. And what we find is the custom of ancient times, that was where a promise or an oath was given. And so if you and I made a deal, okay, nowadays you just sign a whole lot of documents, right? Anybody who ever purchased a house, oh man, it's like a whole booklet. You got to sign paper after paper and you're going to agree to that. Well, back in the day, you would cut up some animals, cut them in half. Half of them would be here. Half of them would be here. And you would go in the middle along with the, the other person that you were agreeing with and you in essence, you were saying, we are going to keep, I'm going to keep my word. And if I don't, then be unto me like these animals. Just as death was brought to these animals, so it will be to me if I do not keep my word with you. So I won't get into a whole lot more. Study it out. It's really cool because what's cool is Abraham gets into a deep sleep. So Abraham doesn't go in the midst of those animals. It's actually God. God keeps his word and God shows up and he, he says, I'm going to make you a great nation. I'm going to give you this land. And I, I want you to know I'm walking through this and I'm agreeing to this. It was a one-sided. Abraham didn't have to keep his end of the deal because it wasn't him. It was God who said, I'm going to keep my end of the deal. Which is pretty cool when we think about the God of creation and how he continues to keep his word, but he continues to fulfill 
the promise that he was going to make a great nation and that he was going to save them and that he now offers to not just the Jews, but to the Gentiles, he has offered to us salvation as well. Genesis 39, 3 talks about uh, um, how God blessed Joseph. And so while we see this Lord, the Lord of the heavens and the earth, extending a covenant to Israel, we also see that the Lord was with, jo with Joseph. And so that we see in Genesis 39, 3, he caused all that Joseph did to succeed in his hand. This is the same Lord that made Joseph, who was uh, thrown into a pit, sold into slavery, uh, was, was given to Potiphar uh, as a helper, uh, and, and who rose the ranks only to be thrown in jail and could have been killed, to be then rescued out of jail and to be um, at a place where he would be like second in command of, of, of all of Egypt and would ultimately help provide and deliver the nation of Israel during a time of famine. Only God could do that, right? Only the Lord. Um, the Lord was with Moses when he delivered Israel from Egypt, when they were bound in slavery. We see that in Exodus 3, uh, chapter 3 through 12. But we also see where the Lord gives Moses his name. And we're going to see this in just a little bit in the New Testament. But in chapter 3, verse 14, where the Lord says, I am. Where Moses says, well, who should I tell the people, the nation of Israel, who has sent me? And he says, I am who I am. And he says, say to this people of Israel, I am has sent me. And so we see that the Lord uh, sent Moses to deliver Israel. We see that God continues to reveal his name of who he is in Exodus chapter 6, verse 3. I found this interesting as, uh, as he is talking to Moses uh, the Lord says this, I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob as God Almighty. Now, we won't go into a whole word study here, but notice the wording here. Notice the words that God is using to describe himself. He's saying, listen, I have used this term, God Almighty, working with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. But my name, the Lord, I did not make myself known to them. What he is saying is, I'm going to make known to all of Israel that my name is Yahweh. And so as we see through the rest of the Bible, this term Yahweh becomes critically important. And we will see it because we've already looked at, at one verse in Luke 2.11 where it shows that Jesus is coming as who? The Lord, Yahweh. And so it is true that it is God the creator who has come to earth. This isn't just uh, a great story. This isn't just somebody who, who, who said, okay, I, I'm going to be God. No, this is God himself who came to this earth. We could continue to go through the Old Testament and see God using this term to reveal who he was. We see that the salvation uh, of the Lord was present when the people needed to cross the Red Sea. They were there and, and they felt like they had been abandoned and they needed deliverance. The sea was on one side and, 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 and the Calgary was chasing after them as they were running from the Egyptians. But yet the Lord provided salvation. Uh, what about the Lord who, who, who told Israel and gave this promise of the land to Abraham who said to the people, 
in Jericho, hey, you march around the wall, you blow the trumpets, and I'm going to bring the wall down. I don't know about you, but that isn't a good kind of action step to take when you go to battle, right? I, I would not have come up with that plan. I would have maybe gotten some chisels, you know, some sledgehammers, you know, maybe some, some saws to try to cut through the brick. But the Lord says, hey, I want you to see my great power. And so you march around this wall. And after you do that for a period of time, in so many ways, so many times, then I will show up. And when you shout, when the trumpet blasts and you shout, I will bring the walls of Jericho down. That was that, the same Lord that we're going to look at that Jesus is. One of my favorite stories is when, uh, when, when there's a battle that's going on and Elijah is out in the midst of this and, and, and they're running out of daylight. And so Elijah just says, Hey, God, would you make the sun stand still? It's really cool. So in, in, in Joshua 10 verses 12 through 13, um, we, we read about this and uh, it says at that time, Joshua um, not Elijah. We're going to get to Elijah in a minute. At that time, Joshua spoke to the Lord the day when the Lord gave the Amorites over to the sons of Israel. And he said in the sight of Israel, sun, stand still, Gibeon, and the moon in the valley of Ajalon. And the sun stood still and the moon stopped until the nation took vengeance of their enemy. So who was Joshua speaking to here? What's the term that he describes the creator God? Lord. Lord, master, the one who is over all things. Okay, then now we jump over to 1 Kings 18, where the story of Elijah and he brings uh, before the prophets of Baal, they both set up their altars. And as they're, they're trying to figure out who is the true God, the God of Baal or the God, uh, the creator God of Elijah. And so uh, Elijah lets them go first and they're running around the prophets of Baal um, and, and they're trying to call to their God and, and Elijah kind of mockingly like, like, Hey, is your God sleeping? Maybe you need to like yell a little louder, or, you know? And so they're, they're trying to do everything they can to call upon the uh, Baal to come and to bring fire uh, on their altar. Well, Elijah takes his st a little step further is not only he prepares the altar, but then he pours water uh, and not just like a cup full of water, but a lot of water. He drenches the whole entire altar so that everything is just soaked. And so as we see this in First uh, Kings 18 verses 37 to 38, he says, answer me, O Lord. Remember, who, how, how are we seeing that these men and women are describing God, Lord, O Lord, answer me that this people may know that you, O Lord, are God and that you have turned their hearts back. It says, then the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt offering and the wood and the stones and the dust. And I love this term and licked up the water that was in the trench. It was like this fire was so great from the Lord that it, it took away everything that there wasn't even dust left. It was all gone. 
one of the things as we read through these stories of the Old Testament is we can often become very um, uh, thoughtful and we say, oh, that is so cool that God would do that. That is so cool that, that, that Elijah got to see that. And um, the next story that I'll share is about how Elijah passes the mantle onto Elisha. And, and, and as, as they're crossing over the Jordan, uh, Elisha takes off his cloak and he rolls it up. And Elisha, uh, Elijah uh, hits the, the Jordan and it parts and they cross over. And Elisha, he's like, whoa. And so Elijah tells him, hey, you're, you're going to follow in my footsteps. I'm passing um, um, this responsibility on. God has told me to pass this responsibility on uh, to lead and to continue to share with the nation of Israel uh, who I am and I'm going to use you. And so Elijah is caught up into the heavens. And when Elijah goes up, Elisha had asked Elijah for, for God, the same spirit that was upon God. Uh, Elijah, that that same spirit would be upon him. And Elijah says, well, you're going to know. And one of the cool things is God makes it clear that the spirit of God, the spirit of the living God was on Eli Elisha because Elijah, as he's being caught up into heaven, his cloak falls down and Elisha picks it up. So immediately what Elisha does is he rolls it up and he goes back to the Jordan and he wants to see if the spirit of God, of the living God is upon him. And so we see that as he rolls this up in 2 Kings 2, verses 13, 14, he says, he took up the cloak of Elijah that had fallen from him and went back and stood on the bank of the Jordan. And then he took the cloak of Elijah that had fallen from him and struck the water saying, where is the Lord? Where is Yahweh, the God of Elijah? When he had struck the water, the water was parted to the one side and to the other. And Elisha went over. God was revealing himself that the same Lord that was with Elijah was now with him. So what about Jesus? Why is this so critical and important at Christmas that we see it as God and we believe that God came to the earth? Well, first we see in the very beginning that Jesus existed. See, Jesus didn't just come and be born um, and just be created. Jesus didn't just appear because John 1, 1 through 3 tells us that in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him and without him was not anything made that was made. So what we see here is ultimately Jesus was there in the beginning. And actually, if you do some more studying, you start to see that when even in the beginning of creation, when God says, let's let us make man in our image. And then there's some more dialogue that takes place even as they remove Adam and Eve from the garden. The plural that that the Godhead, the God, the father, God, the son and God, the Holy Spirit are all three each unique persons, but they are one. Colossians, Paul, as he's writing to the people in Colossae, wants them to understand as they think about this Messiah, the, the Messiah who was coming to deliver Israel, and, and he's writing to his audience and letting them know who Jesus really is. 
He describes Jesus in this way in Colossians 1, verses 15 through 19. He says, Jesus, or he, is the image of the invisible God. So we get to see Jesus. God is invisible, but yet God came to us, and he is the, he is the, the very image or the perfection of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. He wasn't born on Christmas morning. Jesus, yes, he came, and we're going to talk about that in a little bit, and especially next week. But Jesus was born on Christmas morning, but he is and has existed from the beginning of all time. That's what gives him the right and gives him the worthy title of being Lord. If Jesus was only born on Christmas morning, and from that point on he existed, then he, he is not worthy of having the title Lord. Because of what we've seen in the Old Testament. There can't be two Lords. Paul continues and he says, For by him, verse 16, For by Jesus all things were created, in heaven and on earth, Visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. Think about that. In Jesus, all, now again, think about all. I go back to when I was a kid, and again, I know I'm dating myself. There was this laundry detergent. I remember the jingle of the commercial. All right, A-L-L. How many of you remember that? Give me, oh yes, thank you. A-L-L. All right, and and the commercial would be, um, it, it gets all the all the, the 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 stains, all the dirt, all the grime, so that nothing was less left. A L L. That's all. Well, all means all. You can't you can't separate out part. It is everything. It's ex inclusive, and so. As Paul is describing, he's not going to just say here in, in this verse, uh, in verse 19, he's going to say it again in chapter 2, but for in him, verse 19 says, in Jesus, the all the fullness of God, all the fullness, not half full, half empty, not just pit, bits and pieces, the fullness of God was in Jesus. And then we go over, and he's going to talk about Jesus as Lord. And just context helps us to see this in Colossians 2, 6, where Paul is writing, Therefore, as you received Christ, the Messiah, Jesus, the Lord, so walk in him. And this is what he says in verse, uh, verse 9. For in him, he's going to say it again, in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily meaning god came to earth in a full complete way how could that happen only by god's plan only the lord could orchestrate orchestrate such 
a plan where he would tell thousands of years before it would take place in Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14, when he explains that this one who was going to be born from a virgin would be called Emmanuel, God with us. God coming to us. And then in Matthew, we read that the account that Matthew records for us, that he quotes Isaiah and says, this one who has born is God with us. And in parentheses, he helps us to understand what does that mean? Or Emmanuel, it means God with us. This term, Emmanuel, God has come to you and I. He came to this earth. What makes that so extraordinary is... The fact that, again, Jesus didn't earn the title of Lord. He is Lord. I want to read to you as I close here from uh, just a little, a little devotional that I found from Trey Sonnenberg. He says this, Jesus didn't earn the title Lord because of what he did on earth. Rather, he was worthy of the title from the beginning of existence. When one begins to think this way, God's unique wisdom is on full display as we consider the fullness of God and the fullness of humanity that was contained in the baby in the manger. If Jesus had come from heaven as an adult human, it would be harder to consider his human qualities. If he came from two humans, it would be hard to consider his God qualities. There is infinite wisdom in the Virgin Mary conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit. It had to be this way. Jesus could not properly represent humanity without being human. And he could not properly overcome sin and be perfectly obedient without being fully God. So what does all this mean as we think about what God did when he came to us? I love what Paul writes in Philippians, and it helps us to see first, see the mind of God. So there's three things I'd encourage you as we get ready, and we're going to worship here in a little bit to sing praise to our great God. But when we leave this morning, there's three things. The first Look and see the mind of God. And Philippians 2 verses 5 through 11 helps us to see this. Have this mind amongst yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but being emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. What is that name? Let's keep reading. So that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven on earth, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Consider, see the mind of God. Second is follow him with confidence. You can place your trust in 
Jesus. And you can follow him with confidence because God came in human form. He came to us. The writer of Hebrews tells us in Hebrews 4, 14 through 16, since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize in our weaknesses, but one who is, who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. See, when we place our confidence in Jesus and not in ourselves, that the fact that God would come to us and pay the price for our sin and our disobedience, we can boldly approach him. We can confidently come because Jesus is interceding for us. He knows exactly the temptations that we face. That's why it's so critical that not only that Jesus paid the sacrifice and he paid the price for you and I, but he lived in human form. He struggled and wrestled with sin, yet he did not sin. He was perfect and holy, and yet the writer of Hebrews helps us to understand that we can come with confidence and draw near to the throne of grace because Jesus knows exactly how we feel. Jesus knows exactly what our day is, what's going on. And the struggles, the temptations, the problems. Why Christmas? Because God would come to earth. Because God wants us to know he knows what it's like to walk every day in our shoes. And yet Jesus did it perfectly. And he intercedes for us. So we can follow him in confidence. Third, we live our life with your life. We obey him. We're called to obey God. Not because he gives us a list of rules and regulations, things that we have to do. We obey him because we see his great love for us. We see that he desires something much greater than anything that the world has to offer. And this is why Paul writes to the believers in Rome when he says in Romans 12, 1 and 2, I beg you, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers. He's talking about those who have accepted Jesus as their Savior, he says, I appeal, I'm, I'm pleading with you that you, by the mercies of God, that you would present your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual act of worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. God calls us to offer our life to him. Imperfect as we are, the perfect God who came to the earth, who died perfectly, paid the perfect sacrifice for us, in return asks for our lives. We have an opportunity to either give that to him and find great peace and joy 
to find a love that can't be found anywhere else. Or we can try to choose to live life on our own. But this thing I know is very clear and very apparent. That God came to earth. He came in human form. Fully God, but fully human. He is Lord. And he wants to be Lord of your life. Have you given him your life? Have you given him your heart? If you haven't yet done that, he invites you to do that today. There is no better decision you could ever make than to trust the Jesus that was born and laid in a manger that would later go to the cross and would hang there for our sin. He died. He was buried. And three days later, he rose again and he conquered sin and death, proving that he is Lord and he is worthy of our lives. He is worthy to be trusted and to be followed. So will you see the mind of God this week? See how he plays out in the different things that he will orchestrate. Follow him with confident confidence. And then I encourage you with your life, obey him. Will you pray with me? Lord, thank you for your goodness. Thank you for all that you have done for us and all that you will continue to do. I thank you that Jesus became flesh and he dwelt among us and that we have the great privilege of singing and worshiping and giving you the glory that you rightfully deserve. We sing Emmanuel, God with us. As amazing and as sometimes unbelievable as it is to think that the creator God would come to us. How magnificent it is, Lord. That you, Lord, as you helped and led the judges and the prophets and the priests and the kings that we read about in the Old Testament. You are the same Lord who led the disciples and shared the gospel message that started in Jerusalem and extended to the uttermost parts of the world. Because it is your desire that we know who you are and what you've done for us. When you sent your son Jesus to this earth. Thank you, God, that you came to earth, earth, and now we can come to you because of what Jesus has done for us. Jesus, our Lord. And it's in his name we pray all of this.